If you have a Bible nearby, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible nearby, there's one probably in the pew in front of you. Or we'll put the verses on the screen. Glad to be uh, with you and uh, appreciate your willingness to adjust this, the old schedule. Um, our church birthday is next Sunday. We'll be 11, which is the best year. I think we all agree. I mean, if you could go back to being 11, wouldn't you go back to being 11? Sure you would, of course. Uh, 11, as, 11 years as a church, and uh, we're going to celebrate that together by doing our normal 5 o'clock you know, time, and then we'll have dinner and you know, a little birthday party type deal afterwards. It will not be as extravagant as last year, but it will be here, so uh, at least you know where to go. So um, we'll, we are entering into the final week of the 30 days of prayer which is an annual uh, prayer emphasis of ours. And uh, this week, uh, the, the focus, really, the, the, I mean, the whole focus the whole time has just been on um, actively expressing gratitude and love to Jesus. Um, some years we have prayed for different things during the 30 days of prayer, and this one, this one really has more of just a, like a one-way uh, kind of thing to it. We're not asking Him to speak or guide us, or challenge us about something. We're just looking at what the scriptures say about him, and just responding by thanking him and telling him how awesome he is. And this week, we uh, looked at the, the ways that Jesus f- fulfills the Old Testament office of king. So we did the first week on prophet, and the second week on priest, and this week uh, was king. And so I want to pull some of those ideas together um, you know, in the in the thirty days of prayer in the emails, which apparently a lot of people are not getting, uh, because Gmail hates Mailchimp. Like they just won't get along. That's the that's the server we use. I just realized uh, you might not know what Mailchimp is. Mailchimp is like this mass email service that we use, and they don't get along with Gmail. Apparently, a lot of filtering problems, and and so. But if you get the emails or if you see it on Instagram, you've maybe noticed that. The entries are they're kind of roughly the same length every day. And a lot of times that's not enough time to really say uh, what all needs to be said. And so what I want to do is, is kind of dive into this text that we kind of went through a couple of times this week. And maybe offer some additional like application material to it. Because I, I believe that it's uh, given the current state of the world, not, not, not just America, like the whole world... Uh, I found it to be very uh, timely reminder of some things that that I think the church really needs to hear and uh, embrace. And so I'd like to start reading in verse 15 of chapter 1. It says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, 
according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So, there's a lot in that passage. We could have spent the whole 30 days of prayer just going phrase by phrase through that prayer. And Paul is clearly just overflowing with love for this, this church and these people that are very dear to him. But greater than that, this love and gratitude for all that God has begun and is doing and is going to do ultimately. And he, he blesses them, he prays for them, and he teaches them, kind of all mashed into one thing. It's just amazing. But I want to zero in on the, on the specifics of verse, uh, real, we'll start in 20, but really 21, 22, 23 are going to be the main focus. So he's talking about all these things, he's praying for them. And starting in verse 20, talking about the, the, the great might of God, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And so Jesus has been... Uh, Jesus died and was buried and was raised from the dead and ascended to the Father and has been seated at the right hand of the Father, which is the place of, of honor. And so Jesus, right now, in his like physical body form, is at the right hand of God the, the Father. And it, at the end of Matthew, uh, in chapter 28, before the Great Commission... Uh, as he's giving that, Jesus says that all authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so Paul is, in, in some way, kind of referencing that same idea that Jesus is, is now in this very special place at the right hand of the Father. And he has uh, accomplished certain things and God has, has, has placed him in, in a very specific place in the mechanics and ongoings of the universe, which he describes here. Verse 21 says that he is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So if you look at verse 21, there's those four things, rule, authority, power, and dominion. Um, let me just a, a bit on each, on each of those. Um, so in, in this world that we live in, there are these forces that give shape to, uh, to really to everything. You know, from the, the time that you're young to the time that you are sitting here in this room, there are certain things about the world that you just learn. It's just kind of like the way that it is. You know, this, this happens, this goes on. And those things aren't just coincidence. Those things are, are shaped by these forces. And Paul lists four of them right there. He says rule, authority, power, and dominion. So rule, you can think like literally rules. Like the laws that govern us. Um, in, every, in every country, in every civilized like, like place on the planet, there are rules set in place that govern the people. Um, 
they're not all, all bad. A lot of them are good. And we'll talk about that in a second. But there are rules. There are, uh, he says, authority. So there's always political systems and courts and law enforcement and military you know, that are taking these rules and they are making sure that the rules are followed. And they are um, handing down consequences when the rules are broken. That those are fitting together. Um, and then it says uh, power. So there's influence uh, and, and control all over the world, um, that, that there are people who have a lot of power in a given culture and society and sometimes even globally because they are controlling things and they have a lot of influence over things. And so those, those, uh, that there is this, this idea of power that is out there, uh, and it's very intangible. It's not like you could say, you know, I just want to get more power, but that, you have to get specific with it. But there is this, this part of the fabric of our world that deals with power and which is influence and control. Um, then he says dominion, which is, which is really like the, it's the, the powerful ruling over the powerless. You know, it's having like dominion over someone. And so when you put those together, that they're like, like this, this fabric that works its way all around the, really the, the planet, it's this unique, it's just this universal human experience that there are, are rules in place? There are authorities that are are, are um, um, enforcing those rules. There are uh, there's this this power and influence that is out there, and there's dominion where those powerful people have uh, like power. Their power is wielded over the powerless. You kind of put all those things together, and you're like, yeah, that is that is kind of how the world works. It seems like you know. Like there are these big like systemic uh, goods and bads that are out there in our world. They're, they're just bigger than the individual. They're the kind of things that you feel powerless to change. You know? Like even like the good things to make them better, you're like, but what, do I, what would I do? I'm just like a person. Because there are these rules and authorities and, and, and that power and dominion that is out there. And it is this cultural weaving together, this fabric that is there, that is shaping the world that we live in. And so you grow up learning, sometimes the hard way, how the world works. And so there are good, there are good examples of those things and there are bad examples of, of those things. Um, for example, what, what's a good rule? A good rule is that it's illegal to murder. That's a good rule. Can I get an amen? No, I can't. Okay, that's fine. I was put myself out there. Okay, um, good rule. It's illegal to murder. What is uh, what does a good authority look like? Um, that there are like law enforcement officers enforcing the rule that it's illegal to murder. So they will arrest you. They will prosecute you, and they will put you in jail. Like that's, a, like, that's a good thing that helps us feel safe to know that there is a law, there's a rule in place, and there's someone that's going to enforce it. Um, how can power and influence be really good? Uh, something that seems really simple, but it's actually very huge. When you have a, a, a major corporation come in and find a school and say, we're going we're gonna to donate... X amount of dollars to your school every single year to be able to fund all this programming that you need. So that's like a really good way that, that a powerful company with lots of money and influence can come in and can bless someone. That's, that's the good kind of influence and control that can be offered. Um, how can dominion ever be good? It's, it's kind of similar, but um, 
in New York City, uh, a number of you have, have gone on this trip to volunteer at a place called the Bowery Mission. And the Bowery Mission has, um, like, serves meals to the homeless, provides clothing and shelter and all that kind of stuff, and has a, a program that men and women can go through that's kind of like a life, like, rehab program to take you from wherever you are to where you want to be. Um, if you want to think of it in terms of homelessness, to get you from living on the streets to, being, to living on your own with a job, like equipping you, the whole thing, counseling, discipleship, the whole process. And um, this whole place runs completely on donations from, the, from like wealthy people and wealthy businesses in New York, down to the, to the point where they are feeding uh, three meals a day, about 200 people per meal, and they never, ever go and buy food because grocery stores donate it, restaurants donate it, Whole Foods will bring over everything that's like not good enough you know, because it's like six hours old, and they'll bring it all to the Bowery Mission. And the Bowery Mission's like, well, we'll take it. And so, uh, in fact, there's two or three times a year where they will confiscate poached lobsters from poachers you know, in the Northeast. And once they're confiscated, they can't, for some legal reason, they can't release them back into the water, which seems... Silly, and so they're like, we don't know what to do with them. They call the Bowery Mission. They bring them over, and so a couple of times a year, you have homeless men and women in New York City eating a lobster dinner. I ain't never had a lobster in my life. <laughs> and so the generosity of those of the powerful and the powerless, the powerful can bless the powerless. So dominion is not always bad. So there are good examples of rules of authorities. Of, of power and of dominion in our world. And so please don't ever hear me saying our whole world stinks. Our world is, is blessed. And the reason why it's blessed is because we all bear the image of our creator. Even though it's distorted, there's still so much goodness that's there. There are these humanitarian organizations that are doing tremendous work. And there are people that live in our, in our neighborhoods and we work with and stuff like that who do not know the name of Jesus as Savior, but yet their behavior their actions are so Christ-like. That's because they were created in His image just like all of us who know Jesus as Savior. And so there's a lot of goodness in the world, but that fabric can be a, a negative thing as well. That there are some difficult things that we face because the rule, the rule and authority and power and dominion are bad. So what's a rule, what's a law that's, that governs us that is bad? Um, abortion. I would say. That's a hot topic right now. Um, that that is, is something that our country says is, is allowed, and uh, a lot of Christians would look at that and say, no, that's, that should not be the case. But that's the rule of the land. And so if you disagree with that rule, which I know that some of you may not, but I know that a lot of you do, if you, if you disagree with it, what do you you know, like you're, you're under that rule. And so that can be an example of, of when a rule is not a, is not a good thing. Authority, like those political systems and courts and all that kind of stuff. What's a negative example? ISIS, destroying Syria. Like they have decided we are in charge now and this is how it's going to be. And so they're just wreaking havoc all through that country. And so authority can, can bless us when it's, when it's like used properly, but a lot of times authority like gets twisted up in brokenness and becomes something terrible. Power, you know, influence and control, 
the fact that greed uh, is, a, is a driving force behind um, really every systemic evil in our world. Like greed is in the, in the bottom of that somewhere. So you want to talk about like generational poverty? Greed is at the bottom of that. You want to talk about war? Greed is at the bottom of that. That's just an example of a power that's there that can be, uh, can be bad. And then dominion. How can it be bad when the powerful are ruling over the powerless? Well, there's, they estimate there's 27 million people in, a, in a, some sort of situation right now that is labeled as slavery. 27 million people worldwide, we would look at it and say, you are enslaved to that person or to that organization or to whatever. And so while there are really great things happening in those categories of rule, authority, power, and dominion, there's a lot of really bad stuff there. And when we, when we start to think about like those difficult things, and that part of the fabric that you, there's a, that you just kind of rage against. You know, like it makes you, it makes you angry. It makes you want to do something. It makes you question why no one else is doing something. It, it, or it makes you just give up. It'd be like, why, why in the world? I mean, I can't really do anything about that. You know, when was the last time you and your best friend sat across the, the the table from each other having coffee and be like, you know what, let's, let's end global poverty. I think we should do that. No, because it's this big force that the rule and authority and power and dominion is in place and we feel as individuals and as groups and maybe even just as humans across the board, we feel like there's nothing we can do about it. So that's sort of what Paul has in mind. There's more to it, but let's go down that road. So you have those things in place. And then he says, um, and above every name that is named. And so behind each of those things, the good things and the bad things, there are people's names. So when, when a business in New York City who does food service decides... We're going, to ha- we're going to take this food, we're going to bring it to this mission because they're going to feed those who are hungry with it. Someone is making that decision. And when they need to expand their property and buy a building somewhere next to them, there's a board of directors who are making the decision to buy that building or throw this you know, black tie gala fundraiser thing to raise money to buy that building. But there are people that are attached to that. There are law enforcement officers and there are judges and there are district attorneys who are there to prosecute those who break the rules. There are people who author bills and laws to pass them through, to make them become official. There, there, but there are people behind all those things on the good side. There are people behind those things on the bad side. Like there are, there are people calling the shots for ISIS. There are, there are people whose names we know that are global world leaders that are um, like personally responsible for things. And so a lot of their names we know, a lot of their names we don't know. But human traffickers have names. Slave owners have names. Warlords have names. 
kings and presidents and all these kind of people, they all have names. So on the good side and on the bad side, there are people like associated with those things. And when you put those together, when you put rules, authority, you put rule, authority, power, dominion, and all the people behind them, it's important for us to keep in mind that everything about that is being driven by sin and by the devil and by death. Like that is a part of what Paul is talking about. That's a part of the rule and power and authority and dominion and names. That Satan is behind that, and there are people who are broken because of sin, who are carrying that with them, that are behind that. That this fabric of our world has goodness to it, but it has a lot of badness to it as well. And in our human experience, it's very normal and common for all of us to feel like those are impossible things to ever impact. Because they're just so big. And so what does Paul say about those things? He says, back to verse 20, that Christ was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named. So Jesus is positioned far above those things. And that does not mean that like heaven is like up there. And so he's like, no, he's like literally like up there. I once heard a sermon that said that he- heaven was in the northern part of our universe, which doesn't make any sense at all. I'm not a physicist, but I'm pretty sure the universe doesn't have a north. Or maybe it does. Maybe I should be a physicist. I don't know. It's not that he's like up there and we're down here. It's that he has been positioned above those things, above the fabric of our world, above the authority and rule and power and dominion and all the people behind the good and the bad. He has been positioned far above them. And so I was thinking about this this week, and I mentioned this to the elders the other night in our meeting. And I've been like just thinking about it. This only make, may only make sense to me, but just humor me, but... There's a point in time when the, like, the blue sky in the day or the, you know, the, the dark sky at night was like the, it was like the canopy, right? Like that was like, it was just there. You know, there wasn't science and knowledge and all these things had not really progressed to the point where, where, where people knew what, the, what was going on up there. They just knew like there's a sun in the sky, there's a cloud, there's the moon at night, and there are these speckly things also. And until their knowledge, until their experience, until humanity had been able to find out anything otherwise, like that was, that was as high as things went. Like it was just all just there. And so what they did, of course, was they just made everything a god. So the sun was a god, the moon was a god, the stars were gods, the, the rain clouds were gods, the blue sky was a god, the crops were gods. I mean, they just got to make a god out of everything. So when, when God is bringing the Israelites out of Egypt and the plagues you know, that come, it's not ten random things, even though it seems super random. It's God systematically showing that he is actually far above all of those things. 
He is far above the Nile River that they worshipped. He is far above the, the, the crops uh, that they worshipped. He's far above the, the animals that they worshipped. He's far above the Pharaoh that they worshipped. So at some point in history, science begins to happen, and, and, and there's this discovery that the moon is not really where you think it is. It's actually it's beyond that. You know, the cloud and the moon are not on the same plane. The cloud's closer to us, and the moon is farther, and the sun is like super far. But there's something beyond our their, their perception, and they had to get to the point where their perspective was enlightened before they realized, like, oh man, there's all kinds of stuff going on. It just seemed like everything was in this one one kind of plane when really there's all kinds of things happening. And perhaps what Paul is trying to get across to them and to us is that it seems like these powers and rulers and authorities and dominion and all the people behind them and all these things that are going on that seem like they're the ceiling, they're really not the ceiling because God is far beyond them. That Jesus has been placed above them in authority. So the greatest authorities and the greatest powers and the greatest rulers and the greatest dominion, the biggest names on the planet, the most influential people, Jesus has far above them. That as his church, we, 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 cannot, we, cannot be, um, we cannot be quick to forget that. And sometimes, you know, you start talking to people, you watch the news a little bit, you start to see what's going on, and, and it seems like, like things are getting, like, amped up, you know. It seems like more people are getting nervous about the state of the world and, and that kind of stuff. And this is really not about, like, um, I'm not talking about, like, the president and that kind of stuff. I'm just talking about the, re- the re- reaction to things. It's like people are kind of jittery, you know. And perhaps... Through this, maybe even just for today, maybe God wants us to be like, hey, don't forget that those things that seem so massive and they just seem to be over you and almost like oppressive of you, that they seem to be just the highest, don't forget that I'm far above those things. Every rule, every power, every dominion, every authority, every name that you can name, Don't forget who gets the last word. It ain't them. And not only that, it says that all that is is the case, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And so in the first century, when this letter was being written, like, hey, I know that things are crazy with Rome, and I know that it's like pretty much a death sentence in a lot of places to be a Christian. And I know all these things seem really, really, really crazy. Don't forget where Jesus is. Where is Jesus? He's far above. So in that day it was the case. And, when, and as the generations were born and lived and died and handed to the next and the next and the next and the next and the next, everything that's happened, Jesus has been there and he's still there and he will be there. Whatever the days lie, whatever lies ahead, as much damage as those negative like 
things in that fabric can do and as much blessing as the good ones can bring, Jesus will not change. That no moment is his authority lessened. And if that is encouraging to you, like if you need to be reminded or need to be encouraged, I hope that you will just receive that from what Paul is writing. That maybe, maybe you need a deep breath. Or maybe you don't need a deep breath, but maybe like a lot of people around you, you kind of need a deep breath. Maybe your Facebook feed needs a deep breath. <laughs> Far above everything in our world that seems so impossible to overcome, including the devil. Now, in the past, in the future, like your kids are going to be fine, your grandkids are going to be fine, because Jesus is right where he needs to be. And then, verse 22 And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. So all these things are under his feet. Like they're, um, they're, he's so far above them that he has conquered them all and they are like they're at his feet. There's, that's a, that's a victorious phrase in the Bible. That it's already, it's like it's already been taken care of. Now, if you're like me, you kind of have these like thoughts that run into your mind as you're seeing all the, you know, you're like, I want to be completely like just blessed by that and claim that. Um, but I got to ask the question: If Jesus is far above all those things, then why is he why is he letting stuff go on? Why did he do something about it? You know, you ever had the thought like, man, well, if God would just let me win the lottery, I would like $500 million. I would do so many good things with it. I would definitely buy the church a building. I can tell you how many times I've heard that over the years. I mean, if I just win the lottery, I'll definitely buy a church a building. Like, I, I, okay, I we'll take it, I guess. I don't know. So why doesn't he do something if he's in authority? And this answer is not going to, this is not the only answer. It's just a part of a bigger answer, a bigger conversation. But I do think that the response to that question, if he's in authority, then why doesn't he do something about it? I think that you can say, well, he has. He has done something about it. That doesn't make everybody be like, okay, cool, I get it now. But he has done something about it. He put Adam and Eve outside the garden after all this stuff started and put the devil in his place and set up covenant promises, developed, like, like brought his own people out, gave them a set of laws and rules and prophecies to govern them, to be their king. Brought forth the Messiah from within them because they were too broken to like be able to fix themselves and needed divine intervention. The Messiah comes, leaves heaven, born, lives a perfect life, sacrifices himself as our priest. The sacrifice is received. God raises him from the dead. 
places him in heavenly places next to him at his right hand, putting all that stuff, all the sin, all the death, everything that's led to all that whole fabric, all that stuff at his feet. And then what does it say? And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That Jesus has fixed the fundamental problem behind all the brokenness, which is sin. That he has, has healed us internally. That he has provided this way for everyone on the planet to be healed internally. And invited everyone to come. Like it's not a closed-minded religion. It's wide open to anybody who wants to come. There's just one door. So anybody who wants to come and that internal problem can be fixed. And when the internal problem is fixed for one person and then another person, another person, and then it just, so the world is covered with people who've had that internal problem fixed. And we group together as families or friends and as churches and these local expressions of all these people that have been fixed. And they are living in some ways, beneath that fabric that covers everything, under these rules and authorities and powers and dominions and people, some of them good, but a lot of them really, really bad, we're living underneath those things, but our, our Savior, our King, our Prophet, our Priest, He is far above those things. And we are connected to Him because He's the head and we're the body, like we're literally connected. And so what has He done about it? He's saved us and sent us. It says that the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What is he doing about the systemic evils of our world? He's like he's doing something about it through us. Like we're a part of that. We're a part of that fabric changing of tearing down the, tearing down the, the evil parts and replacing them with the really good parts, like we are the ones to do that. Now, does that mean that all of us need to figure out how to become world leaders? Maybe. <laughs> we could use a few more. But the, to me, the, a part of the beauty of the church is you have this planet covered with, with people who are redeemed. And so the way that we change these, like, we impact these big, big, big things that seem like a canopy, they seem like a ceiling, but they're not. The way that that happens is very, very simple. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, follow me. So, put to death that part of you that makes everything about you. Just be obedient each day to the things that he's called you to for that day. And then be transformed into his likeness by just, just imitate him. Just imi- become like him through imitation over and over and over again. Do that. Stack those days together back to back to back. If every believer on the planet was doing that, what would happen is some people would emerge as world leaders. And other people would emerge as making a difference on their street. <laughs> you know? And neither of those things are, is, is one is greater than the other one because we all need each other to do all the other things. So if someone's going to be a world leader, 
There needs to be a world infrastructure that is happening and in place where people are saying, no, God's kingdom is the way that this should be. And so if the whole world, if every believer in the world is, is doing that, then it's cool. You play your role, and you play your role, and you play your role, and that's fine. And this church can gather, and they can, can be the, that expression, that, that fullness of the body of Christ who fills all in all, can, can be that. We can have a bunch of those in the city of Baton Rouge and all, all the surrounding areas, and that can continue to happen. And there becomes this systemic change to where the next generation is looking at the previous generation and saying, man, I'm, that's not like that anymore. Like, don't you watch footage from the 50s and 60s of, of, of just the, the racism and violence in, in America? And don't you look at it, and aren't you glad, uh, stay, stay with me, aren't you glad that it's different now? Now, in some ways, it's just morphed and taken shape, and I'm, I'm, that's not lost on me. But aren't you glad that Christian people stood up and said, we cannot be hanging people from trees anymore. And we will not put up with it. And we will join those others who say, we will not put up with it. And that led to systemic change. The undercurrent still needs to change. That's why big changes like this are slow and they're hard to detect. But when Jesus is far above, and it's connected to us who are here on the earth, and he's guiding individuals and families and friends and churches and the big church all around the globe. That paints a very hopeful picture. So can, why didn't Jesus do something about it? He is doing something about it. We, just, we need to listen and believe him and embrace, like embrace this. Because our king, has, he's spoken. Like that's, like what could be greater than that? Our prophet that pointed, like points us to God, tells us the truth about God, reveals us to God. The priest who makes the sacrifices to get us to God relationally and keep us there. And then the king who is ruling and reigning over all these things, he really, really gives a rip about what's going on in your life. He's connected to you. And whatever, whatever those things are that are over you, you need to know that he is over them. So it might be some big global issues. It may be some of the social things that are going on. It might be those kind of things. But it might also be some sort of sin pattern that you're like, I, just, I can't break through that. It could be a relationship where there needs to be, there needs to be like legitimate, deep healing and forgiveness. And you're like, I just, I just don't know. It could be physical healing. It could be emotional healing from things in the past. It could be frustrations that you have. It could be decisions that you have. It could be financial debt. It could be what to do with your life. It could be a broken relationship with someone that, that you love. I, mean, I could just keep listing examples of all these things. They feel like as much as a, a, of a fabric holding you down and oppressing you as things like global, global poverty and war. Like you feel just as helpless against some of those kinds of things as maybe these big, huge systemic issues. And Jesus has good word for us that he is far above those things too. Like he's far above the thing that you are, are looking at and you're saying it's just impossible. He's like, no, it's not. Because I'm far above it. And I'm connected to you. And that means that all things, all things are possible. What a, like, 
I mean, what a generous king. That he's like, no, no, let me I want to invite you in. That God decided to, to make us alive with him and raise us with him and seat us with him. He just shares it with you. Has everyone, anyone tried to ever share something with you and you're like, no, I don't want that. Sometimes I feel like, I feel that that's like how I am with the Lord sometimes. And he's like, look, I, I have this victory that is, it's completely mine and I want to share it with you in wholeness. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm cool. He's like, no. Far above that, you know. Like he's just like, okay, well, I'm going to keep offering it to you. The door does not close. Seek and you will find. And guess what? I'm the one that you find. To push all that together, that this king who is over the universe is also over your life. He's over our church. Like our church can be fine. Whatever it is that we are facing right now, all kinds of things. We're going to be fine. Because he was given to us. You're going to be fine. If you don't know him as Savior, you can be fine too. Like he, like he invites you to him. And you don't have to leave here today having that question. So where does it land? I, I, don't, I don't know. I just know that there isn't anything we can come up against. There's nothing that we feel like is above us, having dominion, authority, power, ruling over us. There's not a single thing we can list that he is not already far above. And perhaps that's worth grabbing onto today. So, um, I'm going to pray for us. Chase is going to come and serve communion today. There's something about stepping to the table stepping to the body and blood of Jesus that he's offering. And perhaps today when we step forward and you tear the bread and you dip it in the juice, and Chase says, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you, perhaps that is our way of embracing this authority that God has over us. Perhaps he's saying, this is, this is, this is what you need. You need me to rule and reign in your life. And we're saying, yes, I need that. I'm going to get in line with all these people. I'm going to step to that table. I'm going to receive what he has. So maybe, like I was saying, sometimes people offer you something and you're like, no, I'm good. Maybe this is the opposite of that. Maybe this is Jesus offering you something and you're like, yes, thank you. Thank you so much. So let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us. As Chase prepares, the band comes back up. Jesus, what a gift you are to us. And um, there's so much, I mean, there's just so much in that passage. There's so much, even in the things that I've said, there's so much that's left unspoken, I guess. It's such a big conversation. But could you just help us in these moments, especially, just to simplify it? Like, can it be as simple as you are greater? Then all these things we're afraid of, all these things we feel helpless against. From the world's, worldwide stuff to the very individual, personal stuff. 
Can it be as simple as you offering yourself to us as a, as a solution, as, a, um, as the source of what we need? And we don't refuse you. We, we embrace that. We accept that. And that as we sing and as we take communion and as we pray, whatever the response needs to look like, could you just solidify some things for us, the things that you want to speak to us through, uh, through all these things working together? so that we can say the blessing at the end and, and go our separate ways and we can have everything in tow that you want us to have. Pray that you'd do all those things and more in these closing moments. Oh, we love you and pray all this in your name. Amen. So the table is open. You can come uh, as you are ready. If you want to come and pray, that's fine. Stay and sing. Whatever this needs to look like, let's steward these moments well.